Members of the Restored Church of Jesus Christ are no strangers to persecution and the things that come with it. In fact, plenty of the revelations issued in Doctrine and Covenants were in direct response to the persecution of the early saints in the 1800s. In section 103, verse 36, we read, All victory and glory is brought to pass unto you through your diligence, faithfulness, and prayers of faith. Now, one of the stories I'm going to relate to you in this episode is nowhere near on the level of persecution that the early saints dealt with. Nevertheless, it was a persistent annoyance that we missionaries dealt with in Spain. And I learned a very important lesson that as long as I am there and I do my work, the Lord will take care of the things that are out of my hands. This is Welcome to the Faro, Episode 7, Just One Door. Now, obviously, before I get to the juicy stuff with the lead-in like that, I'm going to uh, lay some other details on you, mostly you know, timeline stuff and the uh, just the status of where I was at, um, you know, coming up on the six-month point in my mission, actually, you know, hitting it pretty early in the transfer. General Conference in April of 2004 was upon us, and since I had hit General Conference my first weekend in the MTC, that was kind of how I knew I was there, you know, at the 25% mark. I was, you know, a quarter of the way through my mission. The previous transfer, I had said goodbye to Hermano Wareham, and we had introduced, uh, or we had welcomed, rather, a new sister missionary to the zone. Her name was Hermana Fenton, and she was uh, Hermana McPherson's trainee. And she rounded out the uh, the second district there in the zone. So Higley was district leader. I was his companion. We had Fenton and we had uh, McPherson. And it was without a doubt just the, the best district that I had been a part of up to that point. Uh, made great friends with all three of them. We were riding high, talking about, you know, getting together after the mission and going and taking a trip together to Disneyland or something, just because we'd, we'd become such good friends in those six weeks that we were there. Um, you know, definitely had no no issues getting along with, with McPherson and Fenton. Uh, we even got together a couple of times as a zone to go do uh, uh, tours of Pilar and Aljafaria and the big monuments there in the city. This was also Elder Higley's final transfer, and I'd already gotten a taste of what it was like to uh, to send off a missionary. Um, I wouldn't say that I was the one that had to kill off Elder Riley, because that was more you know, Elder Gadbury's assignment. I was uh, kind of there as a tag-along, but I'd seen it up close, and so uh, I had two very good examples, I would say, of of how to finish a mission, uh, of how to be diligent, how to stay on the ball and, uh, and not get lax just cause you know, there's only a few weeks left and then you really start the work of getting on with your life. Higley was not the guy to, uh, to surrender or coast or anything. We were as, as diligent as ever in those final weeks that he was there in the mission. The Labaco family they're that family that uh, the husband was a Spaniard, the wife was uh, English. They um, were really, really good friends, really close with with the missionaries. Both of them were RMs. Um, 
funny story about how they joined the church. Uh, well, I, I don't know the full story on on Jane, um, Hermana Lobaco. She uh, she had been married before, and then uh, later she met Victor, and they got married. Um, he was actually training to be. I don't know what the official title was. He was going to uh, enter the Catholic priesthood, maybe you know, enter the seminary or whatever he was studying for all that. And he was friends with the missionaries in whatever city he was from. Uh, I know he was Manyo, but I'm not sure if he was from Tharagotha. And uh, we asked him one day, like, you know, you're a convert. What What's your story? How did you join the church? And uh, he says, yeah, I was studying to be a Catholic priest. And, you know, I was playing basketball with these LDS guys all the times. You know, one of my, one of my friends was a member and so we hung out a lot and we we just shoot hoops, you know, and didn't really talk about the gospel or anything. And finally, one day I asked him, I was like, you know, I, I am curious, what is the difference between your church and my church? And they're like, oh, we are so glad you asked. And they taught well and they they invited him to you know, do all the praying and the reading. And he was not a man to do things halfway. He, he was thorough about it and you know, got the answer you know, got that witness from the spirit and had to make a, a big course change in his life and ended up going on a mission to Scotland. And, um, you know, somewhere while he was there in the British Isles is when he met Jane. And, and, uh, you know, and then by the time I met them in Zaragoza, they had five kids and, uh, you know, doing the whole grind at life kind of thing. Um, Victor was one of those guys, kind of like Abel Gomez, who I would just put the uh, the CSG label on him, the consummate Spanish gentleman. Seemed like I always saw him with a with a shirt and tie on, and he was he was a man of of good mannerisms. He was a man of of great education. Uh, he he cared very much about getting things right and uh, about being professional and doing things according to the rules. And he, he was a man that you couldn't help but learn from when you were in his presence. And uh, of course, like I said, they were really good friends with the missionaries. And so they would have us over often every Sunday night, we would have a pancake dinner at their house and we would bring whatever pancake toppings we could scrounge up. Um, on the subject of food, there were certain American things that it was just impossible to get over in Spain. You'd have to have them sent to you from the States. One of them was peanut butter. You could get very small amounts of very poor tasting peanut butter, which was just like the the ground up peanut stuff. It wasn't the sweet, oily, sugary crap that I was used to back then. My mom had ended up you know, dropping 30 bucks just to ship me five pounds of peanut butter once by surprise. So I was pretty thrilled about that. We brought those to uh, to pancake night. But they'd have, they'd have us over every Sunday. And then every once in a while, they'd invite us over on our preparation day to you know watch a, a Disney movie on their TV in their house because you know, those were, those were fine to watch. And, um, brother bear had come out and, uh, I hadn't seen it or remember seeing the trailers for it before I left. And, you know, hearing the, um, Phil Collins soundtrack on the trailers and whatnot. So we're, we're watching that and Higley's got a few weeks left and listening to, uh, the banter from Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas as the, as the two Canadian mooses, moose, whatever. <laughs> big Canadian ice age deer animals and their, their commentary with, you know, large bear and smallish bear that kind of became our thing. Even though I was you know, taller than Higley, he called me smallish bear. Cause I was, you know, a year and a half behind him in the mission. 
just little things like that that I that I remember. Um, you know, as spring was coming in, and we were watching this upbeat movie, and I ended up you know going to Corte Inglés and buying a, a copy of the soundtrack with Phil Collins singing it in both languages. And it's a it's a simple little thing that kind of sweetens the memory for me. It you know kind of underlines the camaraderie that Higley and I had. Um, yeah, just. It's one of those things that uh, I guess if you didn't live it yourself, you might not value it as much, but it it made it a beautiful thing. But the other thing, one of the other things that the Lobacos did for us in that zone was anytime a missionary passed off a novel, Hermano Lobaco would make us uh, a dinner of our choice. And I was like, okay, you know, what are, what are your specialties? What do you like? She's like, well, I can make this, I can make that. And she, had, she goes, I can make you... Uh, Mince and tutters. And I thought, what on earth is that? And uh, she goes, oh, it's it's mince and potatoes. Tutters are potatoes. And I was like, okay, but what the heck is mince? And uh, I asked one of her sons, I think or the oldest son was Alexander. And, and he goes, yeah, it's, it's mince. And I said, what is mince? And he goes, it's carne picada. And I was like, okay, I don't understand what that is either. And I was like, okay, well, that. what the heck? We'll do mince and tutters. And it was just a... Uh, a seasoned ground beef dish with, you know, the tutters were potatoes and peas. And uh, I guess something, you know, fair for the common man in, in Britain and Amano Lobaco made a good one. And I uh, I passed off my my second Nivelle, my, my Nivelle dose while I was there. That was, uh, that was the one that entailed memorizing the first three discussions in their entirety, as well as a number of the Otros Pasajes Utiles from the original six uh, discussions. There were 253 of those. We call them the OPUs, and those were scripture references where we had to have the reference and a quick byline of the content, why it was relevant. Um, and on top of that memorization, I also had to read a couple of pieces from the Mission Library. I think that was the one where I read Doctrine and Covenants, cover to cover, and also Truth Restored, which was a a history of the restored church from you know, Joseph Smith up until whatever decade in the 1900s that Gordon B. Hinckley wrote it. Uh, just kind of stuff that helped fill the well, helped round out my understanding of the gospel and church history and helped me uh, be even better equipped to answer questions that people had. So I passed that one off and Hermano Lobaco made me mince and tutters and uh, that was, I think that was the same day actually that we, they had us over for lunch and they popped in brother bear and, and uh, I was, I was feeling like I was finally getting the hang of it all uh, of how to be a missionary and how to be an equipped missionary. And, and yeah, I just, it, it was good to finally feel a little bit of, of stability under my feet on that front. All right. Not to, uh, not to be a tease for too long, but now to get into the story of of the just one door, the one that I led into at the beginning of this episode. So by now you know what the pound carta is. That's where we all get together on on uh, you know the day after P day, and we uh, we do some group tracting, group proselyting there in the street, handing out pamphlets and talking to people if they excuse me had a minute to spare. Well, as as springtime got underway and the weather got warmer and nicer. There was this group of gamberros that uh, started coming around repeatedly, you know, every week 
to hassle us and just kind of try to waste our time. And gambero is the Spanish word for literally hooligan. It's it's punk kids. It's you know the the ones that just mess with you because they know physically they can get away with it. They know you're not going to pick a fight with them. They they know that missionaries don't they don't swing first. So as long as they don't, they can just be whatever kind of tool they want to be. And these are the kids with uh, you know grungy jackets with with safety pins clipped to them and anarchy patches and you know just real real edge lords bad haircuts and smoking around you and you know it, the guys wouldn't do it unless they had an audience and there were you know girls with bad haircuts too that would kind of sit there and giggle and oh my goodness and uh, they they'd get up in our faces and ask you know sexual questions and and things to try to make you uncomfortable and. Uh, me still kind of being the, the hothead that I was, it, it would get under my skin. And I, after two or three weeks of this, I asked Elder Higley one day while we were back at the apartment making lunch. And I said, how do we deal with this? What do we do to stop this? And he goes, here's the thing. We don't. And, you know, by this point we'd been together for, you know, eight, nine weeks. I, I really respected his opinion and the things that he knew. And, as much as it wasn't the answer that I wanted to hear, obviously I knew that he wasn't going to say, okay, you know, you put a cell phone in a sock and just start swinging around and bashing him in the face. Obviously that wasn't going to be the answer either. You know, the answer as with so many things in missionary work was get to work. So we did. Now I've told you about the Pancarta. I've told you about the Gomberos and I have told you about El Palacio de la Aljaferia, the, one of the nicest monuments there in Zaragoza. Well, all of this is going to come together. So the thing about real estate in Spain is if you live in a multi-story building, like most people do, the, uh, the apartments on the higher floors will be cheaper because you've got to climb a whole bunch of stairs to get to them. But if it's got an elevator, it'll be more expensive, especially if you have a view. And right across one of the main streets uh, that was between the Aljaferia and some of the residential districts was this beautiful nine-story building that I want to say had, I couldn't even tell you what, three, four um, apartments per floor. And uh, it was it was a you know, building with a a camera on the doorbell panel at the bottom. So, you know, people could see who you were before they'd buzz you in. And so we, we'd push, you know, some of the buttons and talk to different people until we could get somebody to let us in. And, and we'd go knock doors in this building because it was, it was near to the apartment. We hadn't been there before. We, we didn't see anything in the area book suggesting that anybody had knocked it. And we decided we're going to go knock this building. So we, we start on floor one, go door to door, work our way up takes us a couple of hours and finally it had to be on the ninth floor i remember it was on the top floor and from these people's balcony they had just this gorgeous view of aljaferia um the gentleman lets us into the apartment uh, another csg i kind of always i noticed that they all had button-up print shirts with uh print as in you know plaid or stripes or something and glasses and a receding hairline. And uh, this guy lets us in and the apartment is pristine, nice furniture. 
he lets us in and, and he says, look, I, I got to tell you up front, I'm not very religious. And we said, you know, we understand. Can we, can we share something with you? And we, we talk about, you know, the restoration and our relationship with God and uh, you know, living prophets and the book of Mormon. And he's, he's being very polite and cordial to us, but he's also being, you know, again, very honest about the fact that, man, I have a hard time believing that, you know, some angel gave this guy gold plates and then he translated it and we don't even get to see the plates and where are the plates now? We said, you know, we, we, he gave them back to the angel and he's like, man, that's, that's really hard for me to believe. We understand these things have to be you know, taken on as a matter of study and of faith. And so we're, we're probably talking to him for a good 45 minutes and, you know, we, we try not to have lessons last longer than that because it's very easy to overstay your welcome and, and, uh, you know, the, the spirit can be chased away by, by you being overbearing. So we, we wrapped up, we gave him a pamphlet and he said, you know, I, I prefer that you don't knock the door again, but if I do have questions, I'll call you guys. We say, okay, great. And as we get up to leave, uh, his wife comes home as well as his teenage daughter and his wife sees us and you know, she, again, again, she's very cordial, very polite, you know, not like, oh my goodness, what are these Americans? What are these you know Christians doing here? Get them out. She, you know, shakes her hand and all that. And then uh, he goes, yeah, this is my wife, so-and-so, and this is my daughter. And we shake the daughter's hand and she is quiet as a mouse, won't even make eye contact with us. We're like, oh, okay. And Elder Higley goes, like, it's, it's not very, it's not very obvious, but I, picked up on his mannerisms after being with him for that much time. And I was like, I felt like I was missing something. So we get into the elevator and uh, you know, as, as we're leaving the building and he goes, did you recognize that girl? I said, no, who, uh, who was, should I, was she from the ward or something? He goes, no, 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 no. She's been with those punks that come by and, and uh, mess with us at the Pancarta every week for the last month. And I realized like, yeah, she had the, uh, the Romanian trucker haircut as they call it. And, uh, the, the bad anarchy jacket and the backpack and stuff. But lo and behold, she's a big fake on the punk scene when, you know, her parents are well off enough to afford an apartment right across the street from Al Hafaria with a killer view. Yeah. There's, there's nothing, you know, punk grunge broke, just getting by about it any of these kids, they were a bunch of rich Spanish snobs from Zaragoza. And he goes, imagine, imagine her reaction when we just sit there and put up with it for weeks. And then she comes home and two of us are sitting there on her couch talking to her dad. And all of a sudden it clicked for me. And I was like, Oh my word. That was the only door in that entire building that we got into. And the, the gentleman never called us back, kind of par for the course with missionary work in, in Spain, especially amongst the Spaniards. But we never had another problem with those Gambero kids. They never came back after that. I think she spread the word and they, they decided none of them wanted to come home and see us talking to their parents either. So that was that. And that was how the problem solved itself. And so the takeaway, I never baptized anybody while I was with Elder Higley. In fact, while I was in Zaragoza, the only baptism that I had was Mauricio when I was with Elder France. We, we would really like to be able to measure our success by the amount of 
people that uh, you know enter into that baptismal covenant. Um, and if if that was the case, then in the entirety of my mission, I was seven people successful. Uh, I know all their names, and we'll get to them as this as the uh, the story unfolds. Uh, so if we're only measuring baptisms, Elder Higley and I didn't always have success. We didn't have any success. However, we always made the list, the, the minimum amount at the very, very least. It's not like we were only getting the minimum every week, but we were hitting the list. And several times we, we hit the second tier of, of the list to show that we were, we were finding people that we could at least teach a lesson to three times a day, which, uh, which I found to be a good day if we had that many lessons that we were able to, to teach out in the street or if by some miracle somebody let us into their apartment. So we didn't always have that success, but we never stopped working. Uh, Higley's diligence was, was an example that, that stayed with me for the rest of my time there. Um, this is still covering the month of April of 2004 and he wouldn't wrap up until, until May. So I'm not going to talk about, you know, saying goodbye to him just yet because that was about two weeks later. Um, but overall what we accomplished in the month of April was, was to keep the field ready to harvest, you know, to use that DNC four parlance. I will compare and contrast it with two other areas where I would later serve my mission. I'm not going to name them just yet because I want to talk about them later. But there were areas in the mission that had been damaged by elders that were either not diligent or were outright disobedient. Um, it colored the members' perceptions of missionaries. It colored the locals' perceptions of the missionaries. And I would be assigned to two such areas and president would go on to make it clear in no uncertain terms that, that this was going to be the time that we put that behind us and that we stopped thinking of those areas as if they had that condition. And while we, Higley and I may not have baptized in Thotagotha, we were still finding people to teach. We were still filling out information in the area book. We left a, a certain number of progressing investigators to the next companionship that came along. And I would find out years later, um, as I mentioned in the earlier episodes of this podcast, when Marissa Walker from my home ward got called to Barcelona and started her mission in Zaragoza, that there was still plenty of work to be done. Zaragoza was not one of these damaged areas. It was not a place where on my watch, missionaries had, had misbehaved or underperformed. You know, we, we kept working. We, we kept getting the, the name of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints out there. We kept testifying to people who were tired of Christianity, that Christianity was not turning its back on them. And later on, the recession would come in 2008. It would hit Spain way harder than it ever hit the United States. And during the, the recovery years after that, uh, you know, when I, especially when I got in touch with Marissa 
and uh, you know heard her report on that. She said, "Yeah, you know, a lot of people are opening up to religion who hadn't before because hardship tends to do that. It, it helps people to find their spiritual side. Um, a lot of times, comfort can be uh, a hindrance to spirituality, and that's why God tries us. So." As much as I wanted to be baptizing and measuring my success in that way, it was one of the many lessons of a mission for me to learn to stop doing that and to make sure that I was diligently getting out on time, teaching as many people as I could, obeying the rules, being a good example, and letting the Spirit do all the rest. It wasn't always going to pop up in the way that I expected. It wasn't really going to be... a a textbook thing, but my job was to do my part. That was what I had been called to do. And as long as I did it, I saw the Lord keeping his word, keeping his promise. And Elder Higley did too. But we'll cap off uh, his mission next week when I talk about the final two weeks of it. And lamentably, the end of my time in Aragon. Thank you all for listening. And until next week, keep the faith.